0: We're really, really happy to announce that, um, that we are just signed a, an ambassadorship program with Schedulicity. Schedulicity is a scheduling app and, um, they've been kind enough to, uh, to help us out this next year.
1: Yeah. They, uh, we met them in LA when we did the uh, Salon Digital Summit and they really believed in what we were doing mm-hmm. and how we were doing it. And so they wanted to know how they can partner up with us to, uh,
0: to even reach more listeners and, exactly. and give what we give. That's, that's right. So, um, with our, uh, with our partnership with, uh, schedulicity, we will be able to reach more hairdressers and we'll be able to bring a lot more content and get to a lot more hair shows. So, uh, hopefully we can see you guys out there in the hair shows when we're there visiting.
1: Yeah. And, and they're going to give us some business tips, uh, throughout the podcast as well. And I'm so excited that, you know, we're partnering up with people that believe in the same things we believe in.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that, that's pretty exciting. So uh, anyway, Schedulicity, once again, big shout out to you. And uh, thank you for joining your day off. <laughs> silly.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, my best bud, Tony. What's up, man? What's going on, homie? So, uh, big shout out to uh, our man, Jerry, at at, uh, at at Schedulicity. Jerry was at the um, Hair Love Retreat, uh, Elizabeth Faye's Hair Love Retreat. And he, um, our guest today, he kind of put us on, put, her on our radar yeah cuz when he came back
1: he's like wow this this particular person really touched him and he was really uh he had she had him thinking you know what i mean like mm-hmm. wow her story was amazing and we and we we're bringing her on today because there's a lot of people today's today's topic is going to be about mental health but mm-hmm. more than that it's 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 about a person's journey through our industry with that and and how she overcame and how how others you know what she does to to help others but you know it there's a lot of people um that you know maybe are afraid to talk about it, but she's not you know what yeah, I mean? amazing she, yeah, right. yeah that's yeah. the gift right that, that's, that's the truly gift. the gift right so she's she's gonna actually bring it up uh in the light and uh really share her story with everybody mm-hmm. and i I'm just totally just very grateful that she's open and honest
0: about it that a hundred percent I'm also very grateful that um that she's choosing uh like our podcast to kind of to to kind of tell her story. So yeah, thankful yeah. for that as well.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, Should enough get, about me. I <laughs> yeah, know, right? And I don't.
0: I don't know where we're gonna go. So, uh, uh, but I'm excited. For, uh, I, I'm totally excited. You know what I mean? It's just weird to talk about. I'm excited to talk about mental health. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but we all, in, in some way, uh are affected, whether personally or we know someone. So you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things that you know, the more than that, it's in the open better we we can uh the better we all are right 100 percent.
0: that's awesome so today our guest is rachel ringwood say it three times rachel ringwood Rachel, ringwood. <laughs> i got it <laughs> i was too, very slowly but you got it <laughs> <laughs> who knows where we end up then right i so guess is rachel ringwood and and again you know just uh, thank you to jerry and um for, for kind of putting us on our on our radar um so miss rachel ringwood welcome to your day off
3: hi guys how are you i'm so excited to be here is going to be
0: uh, exciting yeah Thanks, we're sir. yeah we're like I said before we're
1: grateful and we're excited to have you on thank you so much
3: no of course this is exciting I think this is a huge topic that needs to be spread and people need to hear about it and you're right people don't talk about it as much and I think it's a really important topic for hairstylists artists anybody who is in the industry to really kind of focus on and just take a time to actually like think more about it because I think that's the biggest thing so so where are you from where did you grow up I'm actually born. I was born in Santa Monica, California. I was raised in Los Angeles. I did my schooling and hair and everything in California and Reseda. And I started working in California and then I actually moved to Miami. So I'm currently in Miami now.
1: So you kind of did the reverse. Most people on the East coast head out to to LA or California.
3: Yeah, I flipped it.
0: What what, what took you to Miami?
3: Um, I met my husband on Instagram.
2: Oh (laughs) Wait, wait, you can do that? Well, (laughs) Okay.
3: So the crazy thing is, is it actually was before DMS were even a thing. So my husband's actually a barber and I got very into barbering and I was very infatuated with it. So I went on a rampage and started following a bunch of barbers and him and I started following each other for maybe about eight months. And I was in a relationship. He was in a relationship. And one day out of nowhere, again, before DMS, he comments on a photo that I posted and He just said, wow, you are so beautiful to me. And for that, instead of being like, yo, girl, what's up? Like, you know, (laughs) this guy was kind of cool. So I checked his page out more and I was like, wow, this guy's actually really talented. And so um, I said, thank you very much. As of lately, I don't have a boyfriend. He's like, Oh, can I comment? Can I like, can I have your message or can I, can I text you? And I was like, oh, as of lately, like I'm kind of taking it slow, but you can have my Facebook. So we'll start there knowing that he's 3000 miles away, but it was fine. And then within instantly, I found out he was my soulmate within two weeks. And I said, crap, I'm going to have to move. And three months later, I moved, picked up everything, left my full clientele in Los Angeles, moved cross country in my car and ended up in Miami and tried to rebuild a whole clientele. But we're married now, six years later. So it worked out.
0: (laughs) Congratulations.
3: Thanks. Yeah.
0: That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I didn't even know you could date on Instagram.
3: <laughs> now, nah, yeah, nowadays it might be a little more scared but it and was all you see
0: back with dudes, <laughs> All you see, with barbers out there or
1: anybody, you know, <laughs> listen to his pickup point. That was like, you're beautiful, you beautiful, to beautiful to me. So, y'all pay he,
3: attention. <laughs> he gets that all the time. People are like, How'd you get that? And he's like, I was just being nice. Like, and that was it. Genuine. He was genuine. That's how our conversation just started talking. And then the coolest thing is, we actually then just started talking about hair. He started talking about fading. He talked to me about blow drying. I taught him how to blow dry. And it was like, it was so cool to have someone in the same industry that we could like bounce back ideas from. And it was like, then we just fueled each other for it. And then long story short, we actually own a barbershop slash salon now. And it's been open for about five years now. And it's called His and Hers Parlor. So we work together all the time. Yeah. And it's really chill and a comfortable spot. And we we absolutely love it, and everyone's always like, "How the hell do you work together? You work together, you live together, you've been together." I said, "I don't know. It just works." He's my best friend, and we just fuel each other. And I think that's what's really important too is is because we can kind of like bounce ideas off each other and be in the same mind space too.
1: I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, kind of like a fairy tale type story. Yeah, you know
0: that. Um, so so you're a Cosmo then, and he's a Bob.
3: I do all, i do all the cuts and colors for women and he does all the big barbers. He does the cuts, shaves, hot towels, but they do, they're really good at styling and, um, and finishing too because that was something oh, yeah. that I helped him with that.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. stepped it up a bit.
0: Nice. That's pretty cool, man. I love mm-hmm. the name too. His and her parlor. I love it too. I just, I wrote it down, man.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that might be, that might be a podcast in itself to bring yeah. you two, uh, love birds on the uh, podcast and see how and uh, ask you all those questions that you just uh, you just you just said right yeah, we have a how do you pretty do
2: pretty
1: crazy
3: story yeah it's fun
0: though <laughs> yeah
1: see, <laughs> uh, it's been open for about 5 years
0: yeah
3: november will be 5 years now
0: wow yeah, oh. that's pretty cool how's business
3: business honestly we can't complain we're in a tiny little spot in like Wynwood Miami before Wynwood was a thing um, before the arts and everything came in It was kind of sketched to be honest, but the space we found, we just fell in love with it. It's a tiny spot. It's a a three-chair barbershop and a two-chair salon. So the cool thing is you actually walk into the front door and it's the barbershop. Designed very dapper, hardwood floors, subway tiles, wood, very elegant. You walk through these double doors that we had made and it's my side. And it's like two-chair, it's like beachy. There's plants everywhere, a lot of colors. It feels like two different worlds in one space. So it's really cool because we bounce, again, we bounce ideas off each other, but there's times that he handles the barbershop and I handle the, the girl side. But it's cool because if he has any questions with styling, he'll just come over to my side and vice versa. If I have like a fade I'm trying to do on a girl, I'm like, hey, babe, can you like help me with this real quick? And everyone is such family that honestly, we don't accept walk-ins. We're, apartment, we're appointment only. I am, I'm booked up. The boys are booked up. And it, it's, it's kind of like a family. You walk in there, it feels like a family. And that's all we kind of want. You know, and that's what we're really, really happy about. And our clientele has been with my husband. He's been in Miami his whole life. He has clients who've been doing for seven, eight years that have followed him around. And it's been really cool to have that. And we're, we're really happy with what we're doing. We're obviously trying to keep growing, but we just released our first product line too in December. So it's a tiny little five product line right now called Two-Tone Styling. It's for men and women, but it's mostly like two pomades, a texture spray, a boosting powder, and a beard oil. And it's just to show that anybody can use what products, it doesn't matter what sex or what gender. I have short hair, I get tight fades and I use the product on my hair, but I'll do like an updo and I'll like manipulate a braid and I'll put the clay in there too. And the texture powder, just, we're just really happy with what we're doing. And we actually exclusively sell it out of our shop. We don't do it online and, and we've been doing pretty well, but as again, we created something that we wanted to do and what our clients use mostly in Miami. Because Miami's weather is really nuts, too. I had to learn how to restyle when I moved to Miami because of humidity, man. Like, that is hard. Right. Yeah. That is no
1: joke. Right? No
2: joke, yeah. <laughs>
1: There's none on the West Coast.
3: <laughs> no, I'm dry California. It's like you walk outside, your hair looks perfect, you know? So, kind of had like to retrain.
1: Greenwood, so. and Wynwood.
3: <laughs> yeah, Winwood. Yeah, Arts District.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So... <laughs> You're, you're, you're so busy, you know, not only, you know, now you've been married for the last six years, you you guys open up a shop, but you also do a lot of teaching outside of our industry. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that story. How did all that come about?
3: Um, it's actually quite interesting because I have to kind of delve into my story a little bit because I grew up with like four boys. I have two brothers and two cousins. They're all the same ages as me. So I grew up smack in the middle of four boys. I was actually an athlete most of my life. I grew up playing softball and soccer at the age of six. I did travel ball. And it was funny. I've always been a very busy kid. I'd go to school Monday through Friday. And I'd travel and do tournaments Friday through Sunday. Or Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. And it was something that I've always liked. But for me, I always needed an outlet because I was very hyper and very artsy but I couldn't focus in class so my parents put me in sports and that physical outlet for me was very important so fast forward a few years going through high school I ended up going through a lot of my own mental states and I actually um went through my own like food issues I actually was a cutter I actually was hospitalized I actually I'll, I'll go into it because I'm not scared I feel like people need to hear this but I actually did attempt suicide which put me in a psych ward for a few months. And I think that was a game changer in my life because I actually had a few nurses that told me, this is the sickest kid we've ever had. And I had belief, a deep core belief that I was not, like I was going to be okay. But half of me, obviously in your own ego, in your own mind, you're like, no, I'm the worst kid. I'm not going to get better. I'm not okay. You're artist. You know, you just beat yourself up. But I had this one nurse that told me, no, you're good. You're not crazy. Just draw. Do like find a creative outlet and draw. So. I was actually not allowed to have anything when I was in the hospital because they were scared I was going to hurt myself. So this guy gave me a marker and a paper and I just started coloring. And that was when I really realized that art was needed in my life. And I, from that day said, okay, whatever I'm going to do in my future, I know I have to do stuff with my hands or I have to be creative because I just can't do a nine to five. I knew that that was not for me. So fast forward, going through high school, still doing college. Still doing softball, soccer, all that stuff. My goal then was to actually get scouted to play college softball. So I actually did that when I was a sophomore in high school, but I actually had to wait two years to get to actually play. So fast forward, my grades got up. I thank God my eligibility was good. I got scouted to play college softball. Um, Went to do that. I decided I didn't want to play because my coach, unfortunately, was pretty abusive. And I decided I wanted to do photography. Photography was another outlet I did which helped me be creative behind the camera and in front of the camera. And then I could do hair and makeup and kind of really kind of do and create my own pieces. Um, I decided not to play. And my coach told me that photographers don't make anything in life. So I've had a lot of people tell me like, no, no, no. And I've always kind of really in my core belief, no, I can do this. So I decided not to play softball, got stuck in all general ed classes in college, decided that wasn't for me, dropped all general ed and did all photography classes fast forward the whole year. I loved it. Fell in love. Didn't, didn't know where I was going to go from it, but I just knew where I was at in that moment. I needed to still be creative. And that was a healthy coping skill for me in my mental state. And, um, I remember doing my final project. My teacher said, you have to do a headshot. You have to hire a hair and makeup artist and you have to do this beautiful portrait. And I was like, I don't have any money. I can't hire a hair and makeup artist. And again, I grew up with all boys have had short hair my whole life I was like you know what I can make it happen of course thank god my friend is gorgeous so I use my gorgeous friends so for that help I did her hair and makeup very simple and like Marilyn Monroe like gorgeous eyelashes red lipstick and like a top knot and I was like I'm gonna make sure these photos look great so just, did that free free, yeah I you know kind of faked it till you made it but like made it happen and like <laughs> but I had fun in the process so did the shot, was really happy. My, my final project come back, my teacher asked, oh my God, who did the hair and makeup? And I started laughing so hard. And I said, do you like the photo though? Because that's like what I really wanted to care about. And he goes, no, the, fo- the hair and makeup, the photo, everything about it. I said, wow. I woke up the next day with the biggest epiphany of my life saying I have to go to beauty school. And that was fun telling my dad that I was not going to play softball anymore and I was going to go to
2: beauty school. <laughs> oh, wow.
3: So I decided to enroll that next day. I got it submitted. I got how accepted and I got accepted and then started, I graduated. Well, I finished college in June and I started in September
1: and how I got a job in the process. Hmm? We can't chat of that. How did, how did he respond?
3: He's a business owner. He owns a restaurant in California, so he's very structured. Like I don't know. I don't know what this is about. How do you know this is what you want to do, Rachel? You have a lot of hobbies. Is it something you want to do? And my brother was going to San Diego state at the time. So I said, well, think about this, dad. If my brother goes to San Diego state for four years, it's only, you, we only have to pay maybe like a quarter of the tuition for cosmetology school. Mm-hmm. And I promise I'll get an assisting job. I'll pay for all my continued education. I'll get my license and I'll get a job. I had all these things set. And he goes, Okay, I believe in you, and then and then I started, and I got an assisting position within four months of being in school. I went to school for nine months straight, accelerated program. I went, and then I had a mentor that trusted in me a lot, and she brought me on to actually work on a film project. And I actually did special effects makeup, and that was what I started doing. And we actually did that. It was called 168 film project, where you have to get the whole cast and crew, film, edit, shoot, and everything within 168 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was awesome, though. And we did it. And a few months later, we actually got called back because we got nominated to win hair and makeup, best hair and makeup. And my mentor was like, no way, no way. And I was like, (laughs) we're going to win. We're going to win. Like, it's not, we're going to win. And there was 100 films, and we were top five. And again, I had maybe four months of school left. And I remember being in that auditorium, looking at all these places and just this gut feeling was like, if we win, this is confirmation of what I need to be doing in my life. And they called our name up and I said, you're going to talk when we win. She goes, we're not going to win. I was like, you're going to talk. So they called our name. We won. We won first place hair and makeup. And I went home and showed my dad and he goes, okay, I guess this is something you can do. I was like, all right.
1: (laughs) Yay, dad. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You know, it helps to have that sometimes. 100%.
1: That's awesome.
3: Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then I would assist. I would go to school Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, Tuesday through Saturday. And then I would assist full days on Mondays all day. And then I'd go back into school being like, oh my God, I learned this new technique. And my teacher's like, you can't do that here. We didn't teach you that. Like, you have to wait (laughs) till you graduate. And I was like, oh my God, get out of here. (laughs) No, I was ready to graduate. (laughs)
0: Right, that's awesome. What? So you were doing a lot of makeup and and in 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 hair. Like, like, what was your specialty? Were you doing like updos and stuff, or 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 you know, what spoke to you?
3: So honestly, I had a really good friend that she actually was struggling like me. Her and I were a good support structure for each other. She was actually going through a lot of her own issues too, and I had friends that were going through deeper issues as well, but in a negative way that they wanted to bring me down with them. And this one friend, her and I had this weird thing. And we like looked at each other and we're like, we see the talent in each other. Yes, we can bring each other down, but we need to like try to help each other out. So her and I on our days off, we would, I would do her hair and makeup and like we would structure a whole look. We would see where we'd want to shoot and then we'd design the outfit. And then I do the hair and makeup around that. And it was honestly just winging it. Most of the time it was like, crazy curled mohawks and like funky eyeliner and like crazy lips. And like, we'd hold a sign that was like, tell me I can, I'll show you I can. Or like, you know, like empowering things that made us feel good. Not like just like, let me look like a ballerina. Cause that's not what I was feeling at the time. I was like rough and tug And like, I felt like I needed to like get these empowering sayings out with visual stuff too. Cause that's how people are. People are so visual. So it's almost like I caught their attention with this crazy art or this hair and makeup, then they would be like, oh, what do they have to say? And then that's kind of how I got Mm -hmm. my voice out without being able to speak because speaking my problems has always been a really big problem for me. That's why I turned to self-harm because I couldn't express myself. And that's why I realized that doing things with my hands and expressing and having a creative outlet was so healing for my mind subconsciously, but also it was healing. And I got to express myself and how I wanted to create it. So I think that's what's so important too, is, is you have to find people that want to fuel the good side of you, not bring you down and like, hey, let's go party. Let's go do this. You know, like for, find people around you that want to build you up as well. And she was that for me.
2: Is
0: she a stylist?
3: She's not. She's a photographer now. And actually she continued doing photography and she is a badass. That's so all good. Bad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you want to give her a shout out or do you want to keep
3: oh, her a secret? No, I'll tell for sure. Her name's Cece Westby, and she actually just shot her own documentary for, this is the most bizarre thing. She actually designed and created her own film for 168 film Project like last week,
2: which is oh. such
3: a full circle. And it's, she just is doing awesome things and and she's she's just kicking ass and I'm so happy for her. And that's why it brings me, such happiness because her and I are doing the things and we just have motivated each other all these years. And she still lives in California, but we talk regularly and still like, Hey, what are you doing? How are you doing? You know, check in. And I think that's so important. Beautiful.
2: That's
0: It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Like, you know, you know that however many years ago that was, that there was a conversation about, you know, what our successful lives are going to look like. And it seems like both of them are kind of achieving that at this point.
2: You know? like,
3: yeah, that- I was, I was, she was 13. I was 15. And I just turned 28. So we've been in each other's lives for quite a few years now.
1: So you became the big, so she became your sister in, the, in a sense that, because you were all, just around all boys, right?
3: Yeah. Oh, she for sure. And she was tomboy too. She grew up do, like fencing. Her dad was actually like a sword fighter. So she grew up knowing how to fence and she rides horses. So she was tomboyish too. So we'd be like, oh, there was a time where like, let's do a Photoshop on top of your horse. You know, like crazy things like that. And she was like, okay, I'll do it. And like, it was like always, it was just great.
0: I'd love to see some of those images. Have you ever posted any of those?
3: You know what? I haven't, but she and I, we probably have some. They'd probably be fun to do a throwback because looking back at it, it probably evolves and shows a lot of what we were going through. I mean, I'll pull those up. I'll try to find some of them. You
0: know, let's do this, Rachel. Let's, um, let's uh, for the people that are listening now, Let's uh, let's try to archive those, and then the day we release this, why don't you do a storyline of all those pictures, and we'll just kind of bring the podcast back into it. Like that you know, would be dope. So for sure, sounds good. Yeah, that'd be great. So if you can kind of archive those, um, you know, you have a few weeks to do it. Just archive those, and then we'll. Um, and then when we do a release date, we'll do. Uh, you know, make sure you tag us in them as well, and also uh, make sure that you uh, tag CC in it as well.
3: For sure, we'll do. She's yeah, she's awesome. I would love to post those. Those are gonna be fun to look at.
1: That's cool so wow you know uh, so you you guys go through this helping each other and but i mean how does it continue to evolve i mean because obviously it's got to be a constant struggle or a constant not a struggle but maybe a, a,
0: a, hmm. a tug of war in your head right i mean there's a piece missing for me as well like rachel like like you kind of breezed over like you were a cutter and like the suicide and stuff like that. But, 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 you know, what was going on kind of before that? I mean, what, what was this mental health thing? What was that before, you know, what was the foundation of that? I guess is the question I'm asking. Yeah,
3: for sure. Um, I actually started, this is what's so hard about my story and I didn't ever really understand it until the older I got. Um, I started going through some really dark, darker thoughts, maybe around like, 11, 12, 13. And I didn't know why, because if you looked at my life, a lot of my friends would say she has a perfect household. My parents were middle-class. My parents are still together. I grew up with really good brothers. I went to a private school. I was an athlete. I had a lot of friends, like all these things. So from the outside, I was like the perfect friend or perfect girl. But on the inside, I was like dying. And I didn't understand why I was having these dark thoughts of like, I'm not good enough or not, not even that. Just like, why do I deserve all of this? Why am I placed in this earth to have such blessing when all my friends are struggling so hard for? and it was such a weird thing that I was the happy one for everyone. So when I would go to school, everyone's like, Oh, right. Okay. So what are we going to do today? And it was my job to make everybody else happy. And being in elementary middle school, that was my role. And that started to really beat me up more because I didn't really understand it. And then my thoughts, I would wait till I would get home. And then all these thoughts almost just like overwhelmed me. And then it started getting really negative. And I, again, I didn't know how to talk about it. So I started writing, started writing all of my deep thoughts. And I would actually write it, used to write poetry. And my poetry got darker as the older I got. And unfortunately, someone read my poetry and it it shut off. And I kind of turned that off. And I kind of, that's how I started holding in all of my emotions and my thoughts. And it's hard to pinpoint one specific thing, but I do remember feeling like I was not supposed to be here anymore. Like I was a burden and it started triggering into that and spiraling downhill. But there was also a thought that I felt, this is going to sound really crazy, that I couldn't express myself vocally. So I took it out on myself. Like my mental state was so deep that I couldn't express the pain I was having mentally. And since I was an athlete, I could understand physical pain. So that's how it transformed into my cutting. And it wasn't an addiction at the beginning. And I didn't do it where anyone could see. It was like hidden and I didn't want the attention from it. But then I also had friends that were going through divorce and having struggle or having being abused and all this stuff. And I didn't understand that. And I felt like subconsciously almost like a voodoo. Like if I took the pain out on myself, it would heal them further away, which is a very morbid, deep thought. Um, but I couldn't understand why I was really going through that. But I, I really, I really just wanted to understand why I was going through what I was doing, but I didn't understand why. You good? Yeah, I just I, I can't really pinpoint where it all started, to be honest, because it all has kind of flowed together. And I feel like it just started getting darker and darker and I couldn't understand why. And I never talked about it. So it just kept like getting to a point where the only thing I could do was turn into a physical release. And that's how my cutting evolved even more. And I felt like that was the only thing that was there for me it was like a friend at that point. And then it turned into a hardcore addiction. And then it turned into actually like an eating disorder. And then it turned into feeling like I had to be on all the time. So as soon as I would get to school, I was on, I was a happy one. No one knew what I was going through. And then as soon as I would get home, I would literally lock myself in my room and turn into another person. I felt like I then was allowed to feel like myself and express myself, but then it turned into I wasn't sleeping and I had really bad insomnia and then I would try to not cut. And then I would also have night terrors that would beat me up in the middle of the night. So then I was kind of scared to sleep for a while. So I was going through bouts of going for going to school from like 8 AM to 2 PM. And then from practice from like three to six, I'd come home and take a nap and then be up to like 6 AM. And I did that for like two years of my life in high school. And that was really starting to drive me crazy. Um, But I, it was to a point where my addiction got so bad that I just couldn't help it anymore. And I was like crying out for help. And one day someone was like, Rachel, are you okay? And I just brushed it off and it made me very uncomfortable. And I just started.
0: What made you feel uncomfortable? Was it the brushing off or being asked?
3: Both, being asked. I didn't want anybody to see what I was going through because I felt like I had this responsibility to make others happy and make sure they were okay and not put myself first. And that's probably the worst thing you can do.
0: So your family had to have seen kind of that you were putting up this front. And then, and then, I mean, they also had to see both, I, I guess they kind of, I, they had to see, they had to have been involved in both ends of it. Right. They yeah. Had to be involved in like, you know, who's this deep, dark, you know, Rachel. Um, and then who is this, you know, happy go lucky Rachel. And yeah. I'm sure that they, you know, I'm sure that they, they were hoping that they'd get more uh, happy Rachel than they were, you know, getting deep, dark Rachel. But and like, that was, yeah. 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 No, no, go ahead.
3: That was the hard part is my mom would see me come home from school and I'd be like lit up and I'd be super happy or I'd be happy with the accomplishments I've did with sports and all that stuff. And then I would just like switch and I'd go into this mindset of being like, I'm the worst person. I'm not good enough. I don't think I'm supposed to be here anymore. But that got to a point where I hit it till I was like 15 and my mom saw one of my cuts on my stomach and that's how it opened the door of conversation. And then she started checking in on me. And Mm -hmm. there was one day where actually something happened and and she goes, I think you should talk to someone. And I said, okay, I'm okay with it because I knew I was like dying on the inside, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to ask for help because that was the hardest thing because I was supposed to be the strong one. I wasn't supposed to be broken. and so. We actually talked, I talked to a, um, a pastor and I told her all these things that I was going through and something in my gut was like, all right, tell her what you're going through. And I told her all my thoughts. I was having all these, these things that was going through my head and the fear in her eyes was terrifying. And she goes, we need to go home and talk to your mom right now. And I said, no, this is why I don't talk to people. I don't want people to be scared. I don't know. But
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I went home, she talked to my mom and that next day I had a therapy appointment. So they took it very seriously, but I did do a really good job at trying to hide it because I didn't, I thought, I thought it was something that was going to go away to be honest, but Hmm. it was not, it was something embedded in my head. So I went to a therapy appointment. Then I ended up getting diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, and I I was on like um, sleeping meds as well. But within that time, that's when I tried to attempt suicide because they put me on three different medicines within the same amount of time. And that's when, I tried to attempt suicide and then they put me in the psych ward. And that's when my life kind of changed for the better and for the worse.
1: As a parent, it's probably one of the, the most frightening times is to watch your child suffer or go through something like that. I mean, especially sounds like you're very close with your parents and uh, um, thank goodness you had that support as well. But I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine how, how did she hold up?
3: Well, that, that was another reason why I didn't want to tell them is because I was, again, I had everything going for me. Why the heck am I going to put them through this? What did they do to me to make me think like this? And I didn't want to be a burden to them. That was, I hate to say, but that was one of my last thoughts before I not didn't want to be here anymore. Like if I was not here, it would be a lot easier. Um, but I can, I hate to say my parents, I wish everyone could have my parents. They have been supportive from the day one to to now. They will, they did everything I could. They put me away and I needed to be away. I didn't want to be there when I was a kid because I missed actually my first whole semester of junior year. And then I couldn't play sports. And that really broke my heart too, because I realized that physical mental connection for me was like my antidepressant and I couldn't do it. Um, but my parents have been supportive hundred percent and I'm very thankful for that. But I, I don't know what they truly felt. And my mom, all she says is, I just want you to be okay. And that's why I feel so blessed. And that's why I wanted to fight for it too, you know.
0: As you're telling the story, you know, it's impossible. Like Tony was just saying, it's impossible not to see it as a parent. You know, we, we both have, you know, young daughters and, um, or daughters. I don't know how young they are anymore. We both have daughters. And, and, and I just couldn't imagine as a parent, and the most helpless way you can feel as a parent is to be helpless or help is that the right word just, yeah. just you 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 can't fix this you know and certainly you know not to bring like a gender bias into it or anything but certainly as a dad you know um you know males are much more like you know fix it focused you know so I couldn't imagine I can't imagine again how your dad was because my daughter and I were pretty close as well I'm through sports as well and uh I just could never imagine like being in that being in a position where I am helpless you know for them because you know we all we want to do is fix so you know that's 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 what i'm struggling with um struggling with in your story not whatever you know what i'm saying
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, so you spent your entire first semester of what did you say it was your junior year
2: mm-hmm. junior of, year
0: of your junior year so kind of walk us through a little bit to what it what it felt like going back to school cuz you kind of had to feel like you know your tail between your legs a little bit you know that your business is out there you know that everybody's talking and 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 certainly uh Certainly high school can be uh, can be tough when it comes to that because you know the, the people around you don't understand what that's all about too, and now you're just coming back as the crazy girl i assume
3: yeah um it's actually a really interesting story because I went to a very religious private school, and my high school was only about two hundred kids, and I went there through k k kindergarten through twelfth grade, and I was there, so that was another thing is. I had an older brother that went through that school too. So I was known as like little Ringwood. So I, people knew me coming in. So they have seen me from kindergarten through the time that I was hospitalized. So they didn't really understand. It was, I was happy up until that day that I was not there anymore. And it was a thing that my parents actually went to the school and talked to them because they said, what's up with Rachel? Where is she? she? She's not playing sports. Like everybody knew who I was. Mm -hmm. since was also harder because like you said, everyone's in each other's business and it was a small school. So my parents actually went to the school and talked to the principal and said, Hey, these are the things that Rachel's going through. She's hospitalized, but we want to try to keep her on track so she can graduate. But we do not want the teachers to talk about her when she's not here or start rumors about it. So if you can kind of control it. So I didn't know that that was actually happening. So when I decided to come back to school, I was really nervous and my dad was so sweet and I was like dad all these people are going to talk about me they're going to wonder what happened and in the time I actually cut all my hair off I looked totally different so everyone obviously was like oh she had a mental breakdown everyone thought I was Mm -hmm. pregnant everyone thought, you know like didn't like all these crazy rumors so my dad was like we're going to create this story that like astronauts needed you like just being ridiculous you know so like we could just deter the conversation so I have this whole mental thing like, okay, when I go, if people ask me, am I going to tell them the truth? Am I nervous? I didn't, I wasn't ready to open up yet. And I just didn't know what to really expect, but I went into school just going back and no one said anything. No one asked me how I was. No one asked me what happened. And for me, that freaked me out more thinking, does no one care about me? You know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in the case, knowing that they were trying to respect me. But in my case, thinking I've been alone for all these years in my own head and actually been away, put away, and these are familiar faces to me and no one cares. So I actually, that was like right in the middle of finals time. So I actually had to sit in class during finals. And to be honest, I was not ready to be released from the hospital. I tried to get out because I felt insane. I didn't want to be there. They put me on a bunch of medication and I just didn't feel sane. And so I got out and being in school though, I realized I'm not ready to eat. So one of, I made it like Monday through Friday on Friday, I had this really overwhelming, like manic episode in class. And I said, I need to leave. I need to leave right now, or this is not going to be good. And my teacher wouldn't let me leave. And I said, I have to leave. So, and I hate to say this, but I started like cutting myself under my desk because it was such a pent up energy that I could not, I like, couldn't think and I I went up to him again. I said, I need to leave. I went to the bathroom and called my mom and she came and picked me up. And I actually was admitted back into the hospital that day because I ran away. It was just too overwhelming for me. Um, and I, that was a time where I was hospitalized and I almost felt at home with more of the crazy people, which is very, I hate that word, you know, Mm -hmm. crazy is such a stigma, but with these kids that were going through things, I finally was like, accepted a part of myself that maybe mental health is, going to be a part of my life. And now I have to find healthy coping skills. It was like a time where I said, okay, you're either going to survive from this or you're not going to get better. And from a nurse, I had a nurse tell me I was on suicide watch. So that means you have to be on a nurse within three feet of 24 hours a day. And I was in my bed at like 3am. And I remember having a nurse saying, this is probably the worst kid we've ever had. And that was the second time I've heard that. And I said, damn, what is with this? I'm not a bad kid. And so halfway in my gut said, "No." I'm going to get better. I'm going to overcome this. And that time, when I got released the second time from the psych ward, I said, my life's changed. And that was when I was 17. And I said, I'm going to use my story for the better one day. It might not be now, but in 10 years, at least I'm going to be ready then. And it's crazy to think because 10 years full circle, that's where we're at now. And it's, it's taken me a lot of self-awareness, a lot of therapy and figuring out, because I actually was diagnosed bipolar in in the psych ward. And they put me on lithium, which is a very, very intensive drug, which numbed me. I had no emotions. And I'm very emotional. I'm very emotional being. I'm very sensitive. And those are things I just never understood. Because again, growing up with boys, you're supposed to be tough. You rub some dirt on it. You just do it. You don't think about your emotions. You don't cry. You just do it. And for me, I just couldn't understand everything that was going on in myself. So it took a lot of times realizing, maybe I'm not bipolar. Maybe I'm very empathetic. But I do need to find balances and, and stuff that works for me. And medication is necessary for a lot of people. But a lot of people, you know, there are things that don't work. So I've been on a lot of different meds in my life. And unfortunately, I hate to say this too, but when I was in the psych ward, they actually overdosed me on lithium and released me too soon because they wanted to get me out. So by that time I got home, I was actually overdosing on my medicine. And I was sick for about two weeks and I couldn't go back to school yet because of that situation. And then I was on a a correct medicine, but I was just like this. I was just numb. And I said, okay, if this is how life is supposed to be, I guess it's better than dying. Like, I'll just be like this. And then it just realized, no, I'm supposed to be an emotional being. I'm supposed to be creative. And all the medicine just numbed me. I had no creativity and I had no anything. And I said, I'd rather be hyper emotional than numb. And that's kind of what evolved into like, okay, I need to find different remedies and different ways to help myself and read and educate myself on mental health. And that's really what started my journey is when I was ready for it and talking about
0: it. And did did you, um, I mean, after you kind of made the decision that, that, that you had to control Rachel more than the drugs control, control Rachel. And I don't know what situation is now, but, but was was the natural kind of like move to go into some sort of um uh therapy and like did oh you, yeah do therapy or, or oh you know? i
2: was
3: yeah i was in therapy a lot
0: actually it, but you know what i mean like like was that was that what what, what drew you
3: yeah um therapy helped me a lot it helped it, it the hard thing too because when i backtracked when i was 15 when i first talked to my mom they put me with a therapist and they put me with a, a specialized kid um therapist that was for eating disorders and for self-mutilation. Mm-hmm. And I was with her for about, I mean, a few weeks to a few months. And there was one day where she was kind of tempting me with cutting and scissors in the room. And I just had a panic attack and I said, I, I can't, I just want to have a safe space. Can you please remove that from the room? I don't feel safe. And and long story short, she just said, I'm sorry, I can't work with you anymore. I don't feel like this is a good fit. And I was like, okay, she ran out of the room. My mom used to sit in the waiting room. And she came and sat and told, told my mom, hey, I'm sorry, I can't work with your daughter anymore. And my mom goes, looks at me like, what'd you do? And I was like, I didn't do anything I thought. And that was my first therapy experience. Then I was like, I'm not going back to therapy ever again, mom. This is horrible. If she's a trained professional telling me that I'm too sick to work with, how the heck do I have hope? And that's where it spiraled into going into the psych ward and from there in my medicine
0: what do you mean she was tempting you with scissors and stuff
3: well she would since it was I was there mostly for self-harm she had this thing where every other appointment she would put sharp objects in the corner of the room and one day I just kept hyper focusing on it like she would have a pencil pouch with like scissors in it and like a mail opener like these sharp things and there was just and obviously there's sharp things around the world and I get it and she'd be like you're going to go home. There's, there's temptations. And I said, I know it's just this one day I'm having a hard day. I would please respect if you can remove this from the session today. And she just said, no, just bear, like, you have to deal with it, all this stuff. And I just was like, I can't, I can't today. Like I'm going to hurt myself. That is still there. And that's what triggered her to saying, oh, I can't do it anymore, which I didn't get because I didn't threaten her. I didn't threaten my life. It was just like, I, I just, it was just a misunderstanding, I guess. And it was just, okay, I would rather not work with her anyway. I mean, our vibes didn't work out anyway, so I should have, it worked out. But I've gone to a few other therapists from then, fast forward, and when I was released the second time, I found this one guy therapist, and he was the one who truly saved my life and kept me on track and listened to me and found what, what I needed to do to get better.
1: You mentioned uh, eating disorder. Did you Would yeah. you starve yourself or would you just you
3: know, um, I it's hard to say, cause I was an athlete, so I would try to do that, but I would like faint. So I couldn't, so it actually turned into bulimia for a while. And the crazy thing is, is if you looked at me again, as a, as a kid in high school, everyone would have been like, Oh, she has a great body. She's athletic. She's whatever she's solid. And I was actually a catcher. So I was like short and like solid, but you know, I had my own mental image that body dysmorphia was a really big thing for me for some reason and I didn't understand why and that was always a struggle but obviously realizing that was never the answer because it was just a whole circle of me eating and then throwing up and then how to play and then I wouldn't feel good and then mentally I was like starving myself my brain wasn't getting nutrition and it was just a whole full cycle but that was something that actually started off early at an early age and then developed into cutting and then
2: dealing with both of those wow yeah Yeah. so so i guess you
1: know you said 10 years full circle um so throughout those 10 years obviously i mean you you know you were going through therapy but you're 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 developing your skills on on how to i don't know if you you would say overcome it but how to manage manage it right yeah
2: Mm
1: -hmm. so yeah That's kind of, let's get into the story, how, how you evolved into, to what you're doing today.
3: So that's, what's so crazy about my story. I feel like it all kind of flows so well together because it was the time where I decided if I, when I was 17, when I got out of the hospital, that's when I said, okay, Rachel, what really makes you happy? And at that time it was sports In sports. I said, okay, my goal is to get scouted. My goal is to play college ball. And I knew I wasn't going to go to a four-year if I wasn't playing sports because school was not my thing, really. Um, But I did that, and that was my goal, and I did. But I actually wanted to get scouted to play college, um, play in the Olympics. But we actually, they actually took softball out of the Olympics because UCLA – I mean, USA wins every year, so that was kind of unfortunate. But I decided to focus more on that, and then I really started finding – any time that i wanted to do something negative to myself i tried to replace it with something positive so if i was catching myself being like oh i just want to stay in my room all day i would force myself to go outside and like try to create something or build something with my hands or um i have a lot of hobbies that i've picked up over the years everything is creative um but i realized that that was my biggest thing i said okay if i'm going to live this life i have to do stuff creative on a daily basis whether it be drawing whether it be poetry, making jewelry, knitting, crazy. I love doing all that stuff. But I really believe that managing my mental health has, has a big hand in hand with creativity.
2: Mm.
0: So like, like you kind of went through the story and, you know, you were young at the time. How did you, and and I don't even know if you have, but like, like, how did you, I'm going to, we'll just put it out there. How did you avoid addictions or, or is it something that you kind of went through? Because that, that seems like kind of like the natural kind of like progression of this. And we certainly see a lot. I mean, we did a whole month on addictions, um, you know, back last October. So like, how did you, did you avoid it or, 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 or what was your relationship with it like that?
2: Yeah, for
3: sure. Um, I actually do think I have an addictive personality. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's why when I get so obsessed with something, I like hyper focus on it. And that's like the only thing that my brain focuses on. So, when it came to my eating disorder, I felt like it turned into addiction at that point. And then my cutting turned into addiction. Um, Actually, when I was 15, too, I would steal my parents' alcohol and I started drinking. So, I would drink and then that would trigger my cutting and my mental state even worse. And Mm. it was one of those things that, as a young age, again, not understanding what was going on in my head when I would drink, it would numb me. And I felt like finally I could escape from my brain. But when I was hospitalized, my parents found out that I was doing that. Obviously I stopped drinking till I was older. And then I actually stopped drinking till I was about 21. Um I didn't start drinking until maybe yeah, 21, 22 and actually it did start getting into a problem. It started getting into a routine of me feeling that feeling again of I don't know what's going through my head and I don't want to feel it. After a long day of work or after all this, I said I just want to escape and that was my escape. And I didn't really realize that I was doing that because it was so normal, especially in the hair industry or in any artist. like people just tend to drink like, Oh, let's go out, have a drink or whatever. And my parents drink again. But it's just one of those things that I realized I was doing it for the wrong reason because Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out all this stuff that was going on. And I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing self-help work. I wasn't, I was just numbing myself. And the older I got, it didn't transform into me drinking every day. It was, when I was having a very overwhelming moment or I couldn't focus on what was happening, then that's when I would drink. And then I just like numb myself till I blacked out. And that was really hard. It's hard for me to say, cause I don't really talk about that side of it, but I think it is really important. But I'm very happy to say, I never got into drugs. Um, because I kind of knew if I did, I would be a goner because of my personality. But my mom also scared the crap out of me when I was younger like about drugs. Um but luckily I have I've,
1: I've stayed
3: clear of that.
1: Great awareness though. Yeah, yeah. I amazing. A lot I'm of people of, don't have that type of self-control, but that's great self-control and great awareness.
0: I'm kind of blown away too how like and I kind of want to get into what you're doing now to to to, to let's be honest mm-hmm. your sessions now to keep you uh, to keep, yeah to keep, keep <laughs> you clear
2: others. but
0: but I'm I'm kind of blown away by like you said, the self-awareness and like, you know, the thing about self-awareness is catching it early, you know, and be like, Oh, this is that behavior that, mm. that leads down to this road. So, you know, if I could stay off this road and, you know, so, I mean, I, I commend you and I applaud you for being able to, to, to catch those early on to, to move on to the next phase. So, um, I mean, right now, like, and and we talked about this, I guess, uh, yesterday or last night, like you just put up a yoga video and, 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 I thought it was pretty cool. So what, what, what stuff were you doing? Um, you know, not only to help other people, but what are you doing to kind of like, uh, you know, to, to re re-energize those, um, those, uh, those, those positive roads.
3: Yeah. So, so fast forward after all that hair was something that really kept me focused on my daily. So I wanted to put my effort in other people. Again, I love making people happy. So Me being able to do an out a creative outlet as well as make people happy was a good thing. So being in the salon every day, surrounding with good people and clients really helped me feel that. So in the in the last years, I realized that when I started doing hair, I thought that if you were a successful hairstylist, you didn't have a lunch break. Time is money. You know, you work through your lunch. The more clients you can get in, the better. So I always thought the busier I am, the better I am. Um, That actually hurt me because I actually had a really bad fainting accident because I was working so long behind the chair. Um, Two and a half years ago, I fainted and hit my head on the floor, and it took me out of the salon for about three to six months. Mm. And I lost my equilibrium. I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Um, I had to cancel three months worth of appointments. And that was when I truly realized that hairstylists and artists do not take care of themselves physically as well as mentally. Obviously, I've been doing my own self work in the last few years with my own therapy and my own mental stuff. And I do, thank you. I like to be very self-aware and catch myself because I feel like I've gone through so much now I can be very aware of what I go through. But that was a trigger of how I actually got into yoga because yoga yoga always intimidated me um, because I was never flexible. I was never, oh, that's for really pretty girls that can do yoga that look good, you know? But for me, after my head injury, it just took me out of my own ball game. Um, I realized I need to do something that got my mental state better as well as my physical state. So I started doing yoga to get my equilibrium back because I had no hand-eye coordination anymore. I actually developed vertigo from my fall. And since I had so many head injuries in my past because of sports, it was such a gnarly concussion that they told me if I have another head injury, I could become a vegetable. And that is really terrifying to me because I'm very tough and I'm very athletic. So that's scary to think that in my next few years, like if I can't afford another head injury and when I fainted, I, all my body weight dropped and I hit the white right quadrant of my head. And when I woke up a minute later, my, I had a hematoma, the size of a grapefruit that just popped out of the side of my head. And I later realized that that head injury or hematoma had a 50% chance of survival rate. And luckily my head didn't crack open. So that was a huge life change for me. And I realized, this is not me. I felt like I was in a whole nother body. And that was actually when I decided, wow, we need to focus more on our mental health and physical health and tie those two together. Um, so that was when I really started focusing on that. And it was really hard because I felt like I was letting everybody down. I was letting my clients down. I was letting my family down. I was letting my salon down. I was letting, and again, it reverted back. It almost reverted me back 10 years to my mental state as a little kid. And the crazy part is the corner of the head I hit was all emotion, creativity, and memory. And those are things that I then struggled with after. It was almost like I hit my head and I turned into my kid again. So I was like, oh, how do I cope? Oh, cutting. Oh, eating. Oh, it was like I was trying to comfort myself in all these negative ways. And it was really interesting that my head injury affected my mental health again. And then affected my physical health. So I was then fighting to just try to get back into the salon. And I couldn't because I couldn't. The lights were affecting me. The sound was affecting me. I was ringing in my ears. Um, And so that was kind of, I started really like putting myself first again and realized, okay, I'm going to do something and try to get back and get back my strength. And then in that whole process, I realized, Rachel, this is not about you. This is about so many other people and you have to use your story to help educate others and i have gone through so much in my life for some reason and that was another thing i didn't realize why i was going through all this stuff and now i realize okay if i had to go through it and i survived it it's my time to use my voice to help bring awareness to different parts of life and to not be shameful for it you know cuz all of us are human and all of us have our own mental phases and physical phases and a lot of us have a little, uh, invisible injuries we don't know about and don't talk about, you know? And that's what's really strong. And I think that's what brings us all together. So I'm just trying to help bring that. And and yoga then has been my safe haven. And I then have now been able to get back behind the chair and strengthen myself and strengthen, strengthen my mental and physical because you are forced to have that connection. And that is what's so important. And I feel like it's almost like, such a present in life when you know when your mind and body is connected when they're just not doing their own things because your mind can talk you out of things so easily and your body's still doing its thing and your mind's like no you're supposed to go this way and it's like no I'm supposed to be in the present I'm supposed to be here right now so that was a big my head injury really kind of shook me up a bit and kind of changed how I thought and what I realized in the hair industry especially hairstylists we do not take care of ourselves and I didn't want it to happen to me, but I'm kind of glad I did because then I can now bring awareness to it and try to shed some light on this topic and addiction and anything that hairstylists tend to go through or anybody.
0: So how are you, so how are you reaching, you know, I mean, it's one thing for Rachel to sit back and go, Oh yeah, hairdressers need to do this or hairstylists need to do this. But like, what, what's your commitment to the industry there? Like, what are you doing to, to help the hairstylist, uh, I mean, other than this podcast, you know, but to bring awareness to this and like, what, what, how are you owning it? I guess is what I'm saying for the, yeah.
3: So that's actually been kind of a challenge for me in the last few years, because it was almost like, as soon as it happened, was like, I need to, I need to do this. But I think for the last few years, it was so tough because I didn't, again, you have to follow what is your path and what you're supposed to be doing. For the longest time, I thought I was supposed to be educating with hair. I thought I was supposed to be working with companies and all this stuff. And then something in my gut was like, nope, there's other hairstylists that can educate on hair. I need to be educating on something else. And then with this, I realized I have to tell my story. So I was trying to structure like a class. I was trying to do that. And then I realized all of it starts with a conversation. It starts with bringing awareness and talking about it. And then going from there, because I've I actually have had the opportunity to speak at Hair Love. This was my second year, and the number of women that came up to me after saying, "Wow, people don't talk about this." Wow, I feel connected. Wow, this is amazing. That is really what has blown me away. But I've I'm trying to do my own videos of how to stretch or how to take care of yourself behind the chair. I try to do tips on how to fuel yourself before the day or how to make sure you eat during your busy day or pack snacks or healthy snacks or get up an hour before work and meditate or breathe or don't just get up and rush to the salon. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, I have three 30 clients today and I can't breathe. And you're just overwhelmed the whole day. There's ways that you can stop and integrate your mental awareness during your day. Um, but I do believe that there's a whole Avenue with this for stylists. And I think that it's only kind of the beginning, but I love that people are becoming open-minded to it now because I feel like a lot of people were just like, oh, I'll deal with that later. You know, oh, that's not something. But I'm here to say like, this is something we all need to bring awareness now. And I think it's just kind of bringing thoughts to your own inter- internal stuff. Because that's the thing is I can tell you, hey, what works for me is not going to work for you. Say like my release is, hey, I love going to the gym for 10 minutes a day. Say you hate going to the gym. Why would I tell you to go to the gym every morning? Like you then you're like in hell you're on your own space. So you have to find stuff. I try to tell stylists, you have to find a little piece of paradise every single day and integrate that into your life. Because what's gonna happen is yes, it's always good to have something to look forward to. Like in three months, oh, I'm going on a trip, I'm gonna go see family, I'm gonna go on a staycation. Like that is always I think is extremely important to have. And my dad always taught me that. Have something to look forward to. Because you work hard, you need to enjoy your life too. But I do believe that we're always trying to find this balance, this like, okay, I'll go to work and then I'll come home and clean or I'll come home and cook and I'll spend time with my family. And, you know, but I don't think it's a balance. I think it's like you have to find a rhythm in life and not wait for that teeter to get like really bad and be like, Oh wait, no, I have to go like this now. You know, I think it's finding like, say if you really like going to the beach, make time to go to the beach, make time to do things instead of pushing it off later. But for me, on a regular basis, I have to integrate a routine before my workday that I'll get up, I'll stretch, I'll get my mind right and tell myself it's going to be a great day. And I'll walk myself through my day, visualize it almost like, is it going really, really well? And obviously things come up and things change. But I think when you have that self-awareness going into your day, instead of just like, oh crap, I'm late. I have to go to this. I hate this client. I have this person on my books today. I don't have a lunch break. I don't have, you know, it's like, you kind of, we're all in control. We're in the driver's seat. And as stylists, we're in the driver's seat doing color, but we don't think about being in the driver's seat of our life or our head. We're in control of our thoughts. And if you're a jerk, you can have control of what you're going to say. You know, you just have to think about it and that's it. It's all self-awareness and this reality. But like, like I said, people are becoming more open-minded to it because I've talked about this stuff for years and if you go down, down on my Instagram, like I've talked about it from the beginning, because that's just who my life has been. And I've realized when I don't have that mind body connection, my mind, my body goes out of whack. My mind goes out of whack. And then I get overwhelmed. And then it's hard for me to do these talks because I don't feel like I'm in the right mental state. You know, it's like, and all these people now are just trying to be so busy and trying to do the next thing. And it's like, we have to enjoy our life too. You know? So I think it's finding a rhythm in your life and finding things that make you happy. But I do believe that hairstylists need to take care of themselves a lot more than what we do. And I always say, if you're going to spend six to eight hours on a color correction with one person, you won't even spend 30 minutes on yourself a day. You know, like we have to book, like I tell stylists, book an hour for yourself a day. You deserve it. Even if it's broken up into 15 minute intervals throughout the day, 15 minutes before work, 15 minutes on your lunch break, 15 minutes after work and 15 minutes before bed. You know, like that's okay or do whatever you need to do, like 30 minutes, you know, like, like, make time for yourself.
0: You know, I think you're, I think, I think you're in a perfect space right now, because we certainly are seeing a lot more like wellness talk in the industry. You know, you have Elizabeth Faye, who's talking about wellness a lot. You have Kelly Mason, who um, has a whole podcast about, about hairstyle, um, hairdresser wellness. Um, I think you're in a perfect space. But uh, how do you define wellness?
3: I think wellness is full circle. I think wellness is super individual. I think it's something that it's hard because we can look on Instagram, we can look on Pinterest, we can look on YouTube to try to get ideas or like, you can look on be like, oh, let me my 5am morning routine and people will go and watch that, but it will not work for your life. You have to find, you have to, I tell people, you like have to sit alone with yourself and really focus on what you really like to do and what you want to do to help you feel like a full person and full and fueled and enough and for yourself. I think wellness is mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. I think it's all of it together. And whatever that means for you is what you need to incorporate into your life.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. (laughs) Rachel. I I think that's the that's the best (laughs) way to kind of wrap this whole uh this whole conversation up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean thanks for being vulnerable and thanks for sharing your story with us. Um I mean, is there
1: if if, if is there any way uh, is there anything you want to push out there or plug out there or how people can find you or uh, you know maybe reach out to you? Just yeah, company, right? yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm in the process of trying to get some more stuff out there because I am always trying to be. I have this balance between being present in my own life and being present on social media. And I can be the worst sometimes because I tell people if they need to take social media breaks, do it for your mental health. But I think there's a fine line. Um, but yeah, I like this is only a snippet of my story and it's only getting out there. And of course, there's so many topics and I'm like, just excited to talk about it. So if anybody, yeah, if anybody feels like they need to talk or reach out or if you have questions or friends and family, like you can always reach out to me through my Instagram. I'm working on trying to obviously keep going. My, I have a YouTube. It's my name. Everything's my name. Just Rachel Ringwood. Um, but I have been doing more talks and stuff, but the cool thing, I actually am creating a community women's, um, class in Miami. So it's going to be a once, once a month meetup for women to kind of get together and just like express themselves creatively. And it kind of came with the concept of my clients because my clients are really dope women. And I was like, if you knew that person and you knew that person, you guys would get along. And unfortunately, Miami is a little tough to meet friends. So I always thought if I could bring this together, that'd be cool. So I'm actually teaming up with the mental health foundation and we're bringing a, a, like an expressive class and it'll be different every month, but it'll be a place for not just stylists, but for the community come out and express themselves and be like a safe place for women to just feel secure and just comfortable and meet women too. So that's my next project I'm working on. And then I'm also doing talks and stuff too, but I just, I'm open to talk to anybody. That's the thing is I'm not scared to talk about this. And I think it's important for other people to talk about it too. And I actually just started another Instagram called Rachel's reach. And that's going to be based on a bunch of stories that I want to share and have other people come and be featured and talk about their stories and what they've gone through and overcome to show that we are breaking the stigma of mental health, that it's okay to talk about. And it does not make you crazy. And as a young professional or entrepreneur, People shouldn't stigmatize you as, like, oh, she's bipolar. She might screw up my hair because she's having a bad day, you know? And that was what I was scared of when people knew about my issues. But now it's like, no, I'm in control. I do what I need to do. I'm good. I'm ready. And I feel like my mental illness is like my superpower, to be honest. I feel like it connects me with other people. And that is a true connection with this earth now because everything is so technology that I feel like being humane and connecting and talking and being able to do that is amazing. And that's, I just, I want to talk to everybody. So if anybody wants to talk, I'm around. I just love it.
0: (laughs) Great perspective. It's amazing. Miss Rachel Ringwood. Thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off.
3: Thank you for having me for everything.